we saw the Lord heal the man at the pool of Bethesda. And then we saw his claim to be the Son of God. And we saw the Jews issue with the man carrying his bed on the Sabbath day and they said that's breaking the law as well as Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And the last half to two-thirds of the chapter is Jesus' discourse with them explaining His unity with the Father and all of the witnesses that there were as to who He was. This was more than just a man and this is the way the devil will spin it. Here was a man that claimed to be something that in reality he was not. And that's what you'll hear in the world today, the opinions of the Lord Jesus. But if you look at the end of chapter 5, you're going to see all of the witnesses that were present. It was more than Jesus' claim and His claim alone. But there were many witnesses as to who the Lord Jesus was. And so He comes down to the end and He says, don't think that I'll accuse you. There's one that will accuse you and it's Moses in whom you trust. He told them earlier to search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. So here were a people that had the Old Testament and, you know, the Pharisees, the scribes. These were biblical scholars. We would call them today doctors. They've, they've went to college and more than a bachelor's degree. They've spent their lives studying the Word of God, the Old Testament, the prophets, the books of Moses and the books of the law. They've searched it out. They've studied it. They've memorized portions of it. And yet here they were. Here is the Word of God in person standing before them. The, the literal completion, the literal prophecy standing in person before them and they were unable to recognize or identify who that He really was. So Jesus says, search the Scriptures. And He says here if... If you had believed Moses, and you know what they said? We do believe Moses. We believe everything Moses said. We believe everything the prophets prophesied. Do you think that happens today? That people believe? And yet, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, the first of that chapter, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness by the law. It was works, works, works. And what they had missed was that the law left no place for me to be able to establish a righteousness. I needed a righteousness from another source than me. It was all pointing to the Lord Jesus. But that lack of knowledge then led them astray. And so if you don't believe Moses, how shall you believe my words? That was the Lord's last words in chapter 5. So we had, and I'm just going to review, the witnesses of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, His own word, was a witness. The Holy Spirit was the seal of God the Father upon Him. God the Father's own voice was a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was John the Baptist who pointed and without fail said, This man is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was convinced that this was the Messiah, the Son of God. There was the miracles that the Lord Jesus done. All of those in the word miracle, remember, I've said this before, in the Gospel of John, when you see the word miracle, it means an indication or a sign. Sometimes it's translated as a sign. That's what the miracles of the Lord were. They were signs. They were indications that He was who that He said He was. So the Lord's works testified to who He was. And then you've got the old scriptures. All of the prophets bore witness right down to the place that the Lord Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. To the place that His parents were going to reside the fact that Herod was going to try to kill him and they were going to go to Egypt for a short time. All of that was prophesied of. Even to the point here that the Lord spake. But boy, they're going to prophesy right down to the place that he's going to die 
how that he's going to die, why that he's dying, and his resurrection. They're going to nail it down to the place that there's no mistake. The Scriptures say that Jesus is the Son of God. And not only just the prophets, but even the oldest books of the Bible, even Moses' own writings testify that the Lord was the Passover sacrifice. You know when He's going to be killed? Passover weekend. He's going to be the Passover that delivers the children of God out of Egypt, out of sin, brings them into the promised land. So over and over again, multitudes of witnesses. We come to chapter 6 now, and we'll read a few verses and then maybe uh, look back at them. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him because they saw the miracles which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. So John again, he's laying out the setting of where this is going to take place. Now Jesus, last time we saw, he was in Jerusalem and now he's crossing over the Sea of Galilee. That was a, you know, we've talked about Galilee being the county per se and then Nazareth and uh, Capernaum and all of these cities were in the county of Galilee. Well, there was a sea of Galilee there as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a lake is what we would call it today. It was about 41,000 acres, so a, a pretty good-sized lake. Douglas is about 30,000, so a little bigger than Douglas. Freshwater lake. This is where the fishermen, Peter, James, John, Andrew, this is where they made their living. So John says Jesus has crossed over the sea, which is the Sea of Tiberias, I don't know why he says that. He does call it again Tiberius in another place. John's the only author that calls the Sea of Galilee also Tiberius. And as he's traveling, now if he's coming from Jerusalem here, he's going over the sea and there's a multitude of people following after him. And it says that they're following him because they saw his miracles. So if you remember, we looked at some of this stuff uh, in the past through the book of John. But they're, they're following Him because of the works that they've seen Him do. It's not that they're genuinely believing Him. And we're going to see that at the end of chapter 6. The majority is going to leave Him and never follow Him again. They're following Him because of the works that He's done. It's curiosity. It's why you go see a magician show. It's why you go see at the carnival. You go see all uh, other things. It's, it's something that piques your curiosity and you want to see it. Well, here's a man that's healing the diseased. Let's follow him and see what he's going to do next. And so here is the multitude following him because of the miracles. And Jesus goes up into a mountain. We see that often, don't we? The multitude is thronging Him. They're always about Him. You'll see Him go alone. You'll see Him go with His disciples. You'll see Him go to pray. Here He goes. He retires up to the top of a mountain. And there He sat with His disciples. And the Passover. So this tells us about the time of year that this took place. The Passover is around the same time as our Easter. Our Easter moves. It's not a set date every year. Because the Passover was with the full moon. And so that's why Easter moves. It can be in March or April. It's that full moon and it's early spring. And you'll notice in this writing and in the other writings, they all mention there being grass there, green grass. And so here it's early spring. The grass is beginning to grow. When Jesus lifted up His eyes and saw a great company... Come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. So Jesus looks out over the company. We see in Matthew and in Luke, 
You know, there's details present in some that's not in others. He has compassion on the multitude. There they are. They've followed Him. They're in a desert place. They're not in a city. They can't go buy bread. There's not a place nearby. The disciples in one place said, send them home that they may go buy bread. Don't let them be weary and faint. Here the Lord looks over the multitude. He sees the great company and He looks at Philip. We were introduced to Philip in chapter 1 as the Lord was calling His disciples together. And He says, Philip, where can we buy bread that these may eat? And so he, he clarifies in the next verse, this He said to prove Him. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out what He was going to do. If you could understand that God Himself, the Holy Spirit, or the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never sat down and thought, well, what are we going to do next? They've never had to figure something out. Everything's always went according to plan. And so He said this, not because Jesus was at a loss of what He was going to do, but He was saying this to Philip to prove Him. And that's what the Scripture says. But I believe this also to prove to us the magnitude that this miracle was going to be. Philip says 200 penny worth is not sufficient. So looking at other places in the Scripture... When that man went out in the marketplace in the early morning and then at the uh, second hour, the fourth hour, whatever the hours were, I may be wrong about that. But he winds up going out at every interval and finally the eleventh hour. He agreed with those men in the early morning that they come work in his field that day for a penny. So one penny equal to one day's wages. And so Philip says, 200 days wages. So in today's money then, if you were going to figure, as Philip's looking over the multitude, he says 200 days wages wouldn't buy bread for these folks. 200 days wages at minimum wage is almost $11,000. So $11,000 is not sufficient to feed this crowd that we've got present here. And so Philip, Philip's thinking logically. He's not thinking about the miracle that's about to happen, and neither would you either. But Philip's trying to figure what's it going to take to feed this crowd. And this is his honest answer. And so 200 penny worth is not sufficient. That every one of them may take a little. Not that they had eaten be full, but if we bought 200 penny worth of bread, everybody wouldn't even get a bite of it. That's how many folks there were. We know 5,000. That's men. And he says in Matthew, 5,000 men excluding women and children. So the exact multitude, if there's one woman for every man... If there's one kid for all of them, then that's 15,000. Whether there's that many or not is debatable. But there's a crowd here, and we know that 200 penny worth is not sufficient to feed them. One of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So here's a young boy... That's a lad. Could also mean a, a young lady. We don't know how old exactly. But he's got five loaves and two fishes. And he says, look, here, here's a lad. He's got this, but what is this among so many? So a loaf. A loaf is not what we call a loaf. But it's more like a, a roll is more what it's like. So it's not five loaves of bread that are 25 slices apiece. But we're talking, here is the two small fishes. And with that word, that word can mean like a relish. Something that's been sun-dried and you smear on the bread. Now in my thinking, as I think about it, 
It'd be something like our tuna today. Something that's already prepared, it's salted, it's pickled, or uh, however it might have been prepared. And you packed that up, and when you were ready to eat dinner, you pulled out your loaf of bread, you smeared this fish on there, and you, you ate it. Just like you and I would pull out our tuna, put it on bread, and make a tuna sandwich. So likely, this is the young man's food, either for lunch or for the day. That that he's brought with him in order to make it through the day, his provision. And Peter says, or uh, Andrew, Peter's brother, he says, well, all we've got here is this young lad who's got these five loaves and these two small fishes. He's got this paste. He's got these two broiled fish. But what are they among so many? Why would you even say that? As Philip says, 200 days wages is not enough, why would you even bring up? I believe it's this. Andrew's saying, we're in bad shape. This is all we've got. This is all there is. Now, for us to get an idea of the magnitude of this miracle, in 2 Kings chapter 4, here's Elisha the prophet, and there came a man from Belshazzar and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husks thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor, so here's Elisha, this man brings Elisha 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn. And Elisha says, give these to the people. Remember, they run a school in that day, Elijah and Elisha both. The sons of the prophets is what it was called. They had these young men that were with them that they were teaching and leading in the word of God. And Elisha says, lay this down and feed these people. And the servitor says, this is 2 Kings 4 verse 43. And his servitor said, what? Should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. So the servant here in Kings says, 20 loaves of bread and these ears of corn, you want me to set that before a hundred and here's the Lord with five loaves and he's got two small fishes and we're not looking at a hundred men. We're looking at 5,000. And Elisha's servant said, 20 loaves is insufficient for a hundred men. So what about five and 5,000? This is a mighty work here. And we're setting the magnitude of what the Lord was going to do. But what are they? I mean, what this lad's got, that's not enough for us twelve. But what's this going to do among so many? And Jesus said in verse 10, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And so if you look in other places, as they're setting these men down, in Mark chapter 6 verse 39 he commanded them to make all set down by companies upon the green grass. So they were setting in companies of hundreds and by fifties. That's in Mark chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. This isn't just a mess of a crowd and they're all mingled together, but there's decency and there's order in the way that this is going to be carried out. It wasn't that they were looking out over and they said, well, there's probably 5,000 men here. That's not how this worked. They had them set down in ranks, groups of 50 and groups of 100. And you know what that allowed for? A good count. With this number that we have here, Josh can walk around and count and remember exactly how many is by the time he gets over here. But you, you get up in the hundreds and in the thousands of people... And that's not going to be so easy. But look at even the way that they're ordered to sit down. Church is not supposed to be a mess. Nothing the Lord does 
is a confusing mess. We could all come and shout the house down and people think that that's good. But if there's no instruction and if there's no doctrine and there's no decency and there's no order, then there's been no real benefit other than some enjoyment of the flesh. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to find aid. We're here to find strength. A lot of things are emotional and they're out of order. But even the miracle here, the Lord is ordering them as to how they sit down. They're sitting upon the green grass. So you can see what's happening here. This great multitude, now they're seating them and we know that 5,000 is an accurate number because they set them down in a way that they could count them. And so, the number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when He had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. So here they are. They're setting down by companies. The Lord Jesus takes this bread and these fish. And the Bible says, He took them, and when He had given thanks, that word means to be grateful to express gratitude or thanksgiving. So here's the Lord with five loaves and two fishes and Andrew says this is nothing compared to this crowd and yet the Lord is giving thanks unto God for the provision that He had made for this situation and for this time. So should there not be thanksgiving and gratitude expressed? I mean, the Lord did this. And if you look in John 6, 23, just a few verses down from here, John's going to just quickly mention this miracle. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. John even as he just briefly mentions this miracle later on, he notes that they ate after thanks was given, after there was gratitude expressed, a recognition of where the supply came from. Well, that supply came from this young lad, and we ought to thank him for that. The young lad had bread because the Lord saw fit for him to have it. The young lad was there because the Lord saw fit for him to be there. This was ordered that even as that bread the young lad had was being baked and made, God was having it to be ordered in order that he would be there for this time and for this purpose. Do you believe in a God that has that type of control? If God does not have that type of control... And it's up to you and it's up to your work to provide for you and provide for your family, then you shouldn't give thanks for anything you've got because you got it. You did it and you got it. But we're to, and we'll read here in just a little while, we're to be thankful for all things because we didn't get any of it on our own. The Lord's given, the Lord's provided. The Lord's made provision. And if you don't believe that about the young lad and his fishes, and well, he had an option, and he didn't have any idea, and the man, he didn't have any idea. But you think about the ram in Abraham and Isaac's day, that that ram, it didn't magically appear up there. That ram was born somewhere. It was raised and the day that Isaac and Abraham were going up the mountain, the ram had to be either going up there or had already started the journey up there and God was making provision before Abraham ever knew about a ram whatsoever 
God was making provision that Isaac's life could be spared. That ram was born well before that day for that purpose and for that cause. And there was a whale that swallowed up Jonah. You can say, well, that just appeared out of thin air that day. But the Bible says that the Lord prepared. There was preparation made before Jonah ever fled from the word of the Lord that there be a fish to swallow him up. We're not talking about a God that's making it up as he goes along. We're talking about a God that is prepared. And God here was prepared. He prepared that lad's heart to give that. I don't believe they just took that from him and said, here's the lad that's got some fish, we'll take that. That lad gave what little he had. You can see that too. You and I would have been like Andrew and said, well, this is of no value. But here's a little lad. His reasoning's not grown to our level. And they're looking for something to feed. And he says, well, I've got this. You see a young and being just like that, trying to, trying to help out, trying to give you a $5 bill when you need some money. And they think that they're being a benefit And yet in the hand of the Lord, this young lad's food was going to feed the multitude. And so here, they've sit, and the Lord, it's mentioned again in John 6, in Matthew 26, here's the Last Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. So the natural bread was provided by God's provision. The body of the Lord Jesus was also provided by the Lord's provision. One for the satisfaction and the life of our bodies. One for the salvation and redemption of our soul. Our works brought about neither one of those. That was God's provision and it's for that that we give thanks. In Luke 24, here he is. He's been on the road to Emmaus. He spoke with those two disciples. They've constrained him to come into his house. He's come in to dwell with them and he sat at meat. He took bread and blessed it and broke and gave it to them. So the Lord again, see this is his custom. There's blessing. There's thanksgiving. There's gratitude expressed for everything that He's provided. He's the Son of God as well. If the Lord Jesus Christ gave thanks for what He had, even though you and I, we may scoff at that and say, I wouldn't even eat that. But the Lord gave thanks for that. Should we not be thankful for the things the Lord has provided for us? And so it's, to express gratitude. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, and I know this has been read several times lately, but giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God ought to be thanked. There ought to be gratitude in my heart that as I sit to eat, as my paycheck comes into my bank account, I ought to thank, Lord, I thank you for providing for me so wonderfully as you have. And there be gratitude and thanksgiving, recognizing the true source of what you have. It's all from the Lord. And so he's going to give thanks, distribute to the disciples, and the disciples to the crowd. So you see what's happening. Maybe they've all got a tray. Likely they've all got baskets. We're going to see the baskets later. And so the Lord has given thanks upon this meal, and he's dividing it up between the disciples in baskets. And they're going to take the bread 
And they're going to go out amongst the crowd and they're going to begin to feed. And so this, this was a, a, a picture and a type, I believe, of even the way the gospel is given out. The Lord Jesus doesn't come down to every church in person and provide the gospel to every person. But He's distributed it. That's the way it's going to happen when the Lord ascends to heaven. He's going to distribute the gospel to the apostles. And they're going to go about preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ all around the world. And so today, today it's not the man, the Lord Jesus, coming down to the church in person and preaching or teaching the Word of God, but He's distributed it to others and they are giving it to the multitude. Well, I want the Lord to bring me mine. Well, He's not going to. This is His plan. This is how He ordained it to be that the Word of God be taught and be preached, the foolishness of preaching even was chosen that man would believe and be saved. And so the, the gospel is preached from the mouths of men. And it's through that that the grace of God calls those that are God's. He calls them through the preaching of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is the Lord before He ascended. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So He says the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you're going to be the ones that testify about me. You're going to spread my word. You're going to spread it here. You're going to spread it in Samaria. And you're going to spread it all over the world. Now you say, well, the apostles, they really didn't get to travel the world. No, but their offspring has. That that was produced by them and you follow on down the spiritual heritage and the gospel has traversed the world. The gospels reached across seas, to far lands, to islands. The word and the good news of the Lord Jesus has been spread. And so in verse 12, when they were filled, back up to verse 11 at the very end, likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now if you don't have much food, if you're camping and you hadn't got much, how are you going to hand that out? You're going, to, you're going to ration it. That's the word I thought of. It's going to be rationed out. So that, well, if I get two scoops, then somebody else is not going to get one. We'd better go easy on how we're doing this. These disciples, as they're going around, they're not just giving a, a little corner of a piece of bread and a little bit of fish to them but they're getting as much as they would. So that word means determine, choose, prefer, or wish. So let's just say wish as the word, the definition. They're getting as much as they wished. If they want two scoops, they're getting it. If they want three, they're getting it. Of the bread and of the fish, and when they were filled, that word means to fill up, to satiate. You ever heard of something that's satiated? Down, down east you have it a lot more with the sandy soil. And when it's absolutely full of water, it's satiated. You can't fit any more inside. Now that's the way this multitude was from this meal that they received. They didn't get a snack to tide them over. You ever said that? This will tide me over till I can get something. This wasn't a snack. But they all ate until they were all full. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. So that word remain, to superabound, to be in excess. So it's the same word you see that 
He's able to do exceeding abundantly. It's that exceeding abundantly and this remain. It's the same word. A super abundance. And the Lord says, now you go back through the crowd and you get what's left over. So they've got their baskets again and they're going out through the crowd and they're gathering up what's left. And as they're going through now, they're going through the groups, the 50s, and it's like our offering plate. If you got any bread left, they're putting it in the uh, basket. If you got any fish left, they're putting it in the basket. And the reason was that nothing be lost. So the Lord is the Lord's desire is that nothing be wasted. Nothing be thrown away. Isn't it a shame? You think about how much that we waste. There's a whole lot wasted today. But the Word of the Lord, something that precious, if you cook something expensive, or if you cook something that is your favorite, do you normally waste that? No, I, I put that up, and I'll eat what's left tomorrow. And when if I like it, if it's something I like, Morgan says, it's been a week, I'm going to throw it out. I'll say, no, hold on. Let me get a little bit more of that. I don't want to waste it. With the Word of God, there's, there's no bad in it. The Word of God should not be wasted. And so we ought to take great care how that we hear the Word of God and what that we do with that. Because the parable, remember, the sower sowing the seed, it's very easy that the Word be planted and there be no fruit come from it. It's very easy that the seed that's sown becomes wasted and fruitless in our life. So let us be mindful of what we do with what the Lord has given us. His desire here is that nothing be lost, destroyed, or to perish. Don't let that food to perish. You're going to need that one day. And the day will come that we'll desire the Word of God. The day will come that we can draw strength from what's left over. So do as Mary did. If you remember, I think in the book of Luke is where it says it two or three times that Mary pondered these things and kept them in her heart. Let's keep the Word of God in our heart. Lay up treasures in heaven. Store up the Word of God and when the days of darkness come, there'll be that there that'll strengthen you. So in verse 13, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So they filled to fill entirely. So the twelve baskets that they walked around, they were slapped full of fragments that remained over and above, again, the same word, to superabound, to be in excess, them which had eaten. Now, if you think about how they handed this out, and if you think about the young lad, and, and one boy had this food. This didn't come on a cart. This was one boy's dinner, if you'll have it. So he's probably got it in one basket. And if it's like my basket, it probably wasn't all the way full with what he had in it. And so you think about how it was as the disciples go to hand it out. If they're handing it out out of their baskets, those baskets weren't full. But I believe it was like the widow woman with the flour and the meal in Elijah's day. That every time she reached down in there, she got the last little handful to make a cake of bread. But when she went back, there was another handful. And over and over and over again, she got the last handful. That's the power of God. Here they were. They're at Vaughn. They get the last piece of bread out and give him the last of the fish. And they come to the next fella and there's more in there. It was bottomless. The supply of God is bottomless. My favorite scripture in the Old Testament that as the famine set in down in the land of Egypt, and people began to be hungry, and everything was dying 
And Joseph opened all of the storehouses. And there was enough there to feed the whole world for seven years and still have some left at the end of it. That's the supply of the Lord. The Lord's supply did not run out. But everybody eats. They've got leftovers. Here they go. They're going back around picking it up. And there's more after everybody eats. There's more left over than there was in the beginning of the whole thing. They've got more bread and more fish than they started with. Do you see the magnitude? How can 5,000 people eat five loaves and two fishes till they're slapped full and there's more of it at the end than there was at the beginning? I'm telling you, there's no way this could happen. Remember John's mission in this gospel that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's providing us miracles that we might believe that this man was indeed the Son of God. And so, which remained over and above. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 9, He also that is slothful, lazy, he that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. So the slothful, the lazy, and the waster, they're kinfolk. The slothful, he may not be throwing away stuff and wasting it, but he's wasting his time, his life, and his strength, and in the end, he's going to be in the same boat as the waster. They're going to be without. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be without bread. Not because they couldn't get it, but because of laziness. Because of wastefulness. And so, let's not be lazy hearers of the Word of God. Let's take heed and not waste. The day of need is coming. Remember the prodigal son. He gathered his... Substance took his journey and wasted it with riotous living. He wasted it. He spent it on what he wanted, what he loved, what he desired, and he was spending that that he could not get back. You can't get life back. You can't bring it back. It's leaving, and it's leaving quickly. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, maybe even to the Philippians as well, redeem the time. Use what you have and use it wisely. Don't waste the time that the Lord has blessed you with. So they gathered over and above. In 2 Chronicles 25, and Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I've given to the army of Israel? So here's a king of Judah. They're in trouble. The enemy's after them. He says, I don't stand a chance against this crowd. So he sends a hundred talents to the nation of Israel and says, Send me your armies. This happened a lot in this day. Mercenaries. Men and armies that went and fought for money. You'd pay them. They'd go fight with you and for you. And so he's paid the nation of Israel a hundred talents to come and fight. God has said, this is a wonderful, it's 2 Chronicles 25. You can read it, study it. But the man of God came and said, we don't want them to come fight. The Lord will win you this battle. You tell them not to come and to stay home. And Amaziah the king says, well, what about the hundred talents? I've already paid them. I'm going to lose the money that I've already paid them. And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I tell you, the Lord, what can the Lord do? What can He provide? What's outside of His realm? 
I mean, we limit Him so often in our thinking and in our minds. We limit His abilities. Well, I don't think that that's possible. And yet here the man of God says, that hundred talents is nothing. The Lord can reward you much more than that. You just take that as a loss, obey the Lord, and He'll give you the victory and He'll provide for you your needs. It's like the Scripture from Wednesday night. Seek first the kingdom. These other things will be added unto you. The Lord's able to provide the need as it arises. In Proverbs 11 verse 24, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. This doesn't make sense either. But here's a man that's scattering. He's spreading. He's giving out money. Here's a man that's giving out money and yet he's increasing. And here's another man that's hoarding it up and keeping it, and yet he's getting poor. How can that be? You see, provision and what we have, it comes from God. You can lay up a heap that you could found your house on, and the Lord in one swift moment could take your health and you spend every last dime of it and take out a loan to try to live. You could mount up a supply and something happened to a child, one of your children, and you give it all. I tell you, what you've got, it ain't up to you. You've been blessed. You've been favored. God's been good. God's been merciful. God has provided. God help us not to withhold from the one who's gave us all, but to be thankful. In Ephesians chapter 3, we've already said to this, you talk about over and above, Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. To feed the multitude. If that would have been us, to have fed the multitude would have been amazing. Just to have seen the food be multiplied like it was. Here's a company of 50 men. They've all got a plate full of food and we know it come from one plate of food. Just to have seen that would have been amazing. But to everybody, all of the disciples, to get a basket full left over. It wasn't just a a feeding, but it was over and above all that we could ask or think. Then those men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet, which should come into the world. So as far as miracles go to this point in the book of John, he has turned water into wine. He's cured the nobleman's son at Capernaum. He has um, healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And now he's fed 5,000 men here. He's also met with the woman at the well in chapter 4 and all of Samaria bore witness that Jesus was the Son of God. We know John the Baptist bore witness that Jesus was the Son of God. The disciples that saw the water be turned into wine, they all believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And now here's the 5,000 and everybody that saw this miracle said, this man has got to be that prophet. You see what's happening? Jesus' works is convincing people of who He is. And here this work, remember in chapter 1, He told Nathaniel, I believe it was, He said, you're going to see greater things than these. All He done was told Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Before you ever came here, I'd already saw you. Nathaniel said, my Lord and my God, Jesus said, you believe because I said I saw you. You're going to see greater things than these. There is that that will convince you and even convince and persuade you to the point that you're going to give your life for my life. They're going to come and murder you for the gospel that you're going to preach for me. There's more than just me talking you into it. 
the multitude, the religious multitude in our world, they have what somebody else talked into them. What mom and daddy instilled into them. There's greater than that. The witness of man is good. The witness of God is greater. This is the witness that God gave of His Son, the Holy Spirit of God. That is what convinces and persuades a man unto the point of salvation. They said this is of a truth a prophet that should come into this world. So the work then, enough to persuade the crowd that saw this work, they were persuaded that this was the prophet. Now I don't know if the whole multitude really understood what went on here or not. I don't know how much they understood. But I think if you've got one man with one basket that he's serving food out of and he's already fed a hundred people in one group and you've watched him, as he comes to yours, you're wondering how much could be left down in there. Where is this coming from? So there was a witness there for everybody. But you know what's going to happen the end of this chapter? The multitude's going to leave. And he's going to ask Peter, to whom shall, uh, shall you also go away? I tell you, natural things. There can be great miracles worked. There can be great healings. People can recover from things that they should never recover from. There can be miraculous works of God done in the body. God can bless and provide for the life in ways beyond our even wildest thinking. That don't bring man to salvation. That does not bring man to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that's on our heart. Anything?